Let's turn in our Bible to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We'll read again the opening part of the chapter. Let's hear the word of God. We're reading, of course, often emphasized from the authorized version. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now my text tonight is taken from Revelation 21 and verse 4. And my theme is the topic, nor crying. This is the fourth message on the subject, the no mores of heaven. And here's another thing that is not found in heaven. Not only is there no more sea, but there's also no more death. There's no more sorrow, but there's also no more tears. Whenever you read Revelation 21 carefully, think of these words, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. John tells us that. And then he begins to add, nor crying. Now, a number of years ago, I preached a sermon. I think he entitled it God's Handkerchief. I'm not going to repeat what I said then, but let me ask the question, what is heaven like? Heaven is also a place of no more tears. This was one of the things about heaven that was revealed to John. John could say, and I saw... And he could add to that, and I heard. And then if you look at verse 5, he was given the command, right? John could say, I wrote. Here's John enabled to see the new heavens and the new earth. He heard from the voice that spoke to him what it was like. John's acting as a faithful and true witness. And he wrote it down in the book for us. And one of the things that he wrote into the book for us is this, that heaven is a place of no more tears. For not only shall God wipe away all tears from their eyes, but heaven is a place where there's neither crying 
Remember what we read in Revelation chapter 1 and in the verse uh, 3. We're, we're told there, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And one of the things that stood out to John, one of the things that caught his attention, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. I believe that stood out to him. I believe that definitely gripped this heart and mind. You contrast life and earth. Is this life not a veil of tears? In fact, sometimes tears are described as the language of life. Do you know it's a universal language? If we travel to the United States of America, if we visit Canada, Say, say we went down to Brazil and took a wee trip up the Amazon rainforest and then left the Amazon and went to the jungles of Africa and we travelled on down to Australia and you even thought, you know what, we'll take a wee trip to Tassieland and into Tasmania and then down to New Zealand and up from New Zealand into China and into Japan and the Philippines and then Russia and Ukraine and then eventually travelled the whole of Europe on the way back uh, home to the United Kingdom and eventually came into this wee province. We could say if we spoke to people all over the world in their language, we would witness that tears is definitely a universal language. For the tears of the American, the African, is the same as the tears of an Ulster man. Now I'm told that a happy cry lasts for about two minutes. That's maybe the cry of a child. A sad cry lasts for about seven minutes. But I want you to think of the type of cry that John has in mind. When John says, neither crying, he's thinking of a particular type of cry. This is a cry that can last for hours, last for days. This is a wail. This is born out of a, a broken spirit. Because this cry that John refers to in the Greek New Testament is the cry or the crook of a raven. Tears are a sign of deep, strong emotions. And yet we read, there's no more crying in heaven. Why? For God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Think with me carefully of the cause of tears has been removed. That's why there's neither crying in heaven. What causes tears? Tears of sorrow. Years ago in one of the villages here in Northern Ireland, a dad had been murdered. I want you to think of a grief-stricken widow. I want you to think of a young boy standing by his grandest side. They're at the gate. The coffin has been removed from the home. The villages are packed. There's hundreds literally lining the route and the, the cortege is making its way down from the house, down to the gate, to go onto the road. And the wee boy's asking Granda a question as he holds Granda's hand. He says, Granda, why is everyone crying? And of course they're crying because their hearts are full of sorrow. I think of the Savior asking Mary this question, John 20, 15. Why weepest thou? 
And one of the reasons we weep is because we have been plunged into intense sorrow and intense pain. And you think of Mary. In the garden, Mary was full of sorrow. She had just witnessed the horrible death and crucifixion of Christ. I guarantee that shocked her to the core. I believe also she was full of shock and disappointment when she came to the tomb on that resurrection morning. She came early to finish embalming Christ's body. And what did she discover? She was in shock, disappointment, frustrated. They've stolen the body. And she stood at the tomb weeping. And then this voice behind her asked her, why weepest thou? We'll come to that in a moment. But focus on the weeping. She was wailing with a bitter wail. And how often our hearts and minds are full of sorrow, stricken with grief. There's a real sense of loss and pain. And what's deep down in the soul is given vent through eye gate. And we discover that tears are part of our DNA. Do you know we have the ability to laugh? The Bible says there's a time to laugh. It also says in Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to weep. We weep openly. Some people can only weep secretly. No one to see them but God. They, they weep in their heart. But this life is a veil of tears. And we, as we journey through life, we experience the contradiction of different emotions, laughter and sadness. And it fills our heart and mind. But when we're full of the depth of sorrow and we can know them and face bitter disappointment, we can burst into tears. We can even ask the question, Where's God when I need him? Of course, the answer is on the throne. He's always on the throne. It's never been vacated. But sometimes we just can't see that. Sometimes we ask, well, why is God not working in the way that I asked him? Or the way that I think? Or the way that I want? Sometimes we doubt his promises. We, we, we think to ourselves, God's promises can't be true. And even though we're in the depths of sorrow and venting it through tears, remember our thinking's wrong. Remember, our speaking is wrong because we've got to learn to process life from God's perspective. Life is a veil of tears. Man that was born of woman is a few years and full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. But in this veil of tears that we're going through, we must learn to process life from the Lord's viewpoint, from the Lord's perspective. In light of his loving kindness, God is love. In light of his tender mercy, God is merciful. That's what the Bible teaches. In light of his care, we were singing, does Jesus care? And the answer is yes. I know he cares. How do we know that? Is that just because we've got this feeling inside? Is that just because we think that so that we can feel good? No, we're standing on the rock of Holy Scripture, casting all your care upon him, for he 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, careth for you. Sometimes we ask the question, is there anyone to help us? And the answer is yes. Listen to our hymn in 424. Yes, there's one, only one, the blessed, blessed Jesus. He's the one. When afflictions press the soul and waves of trouble roll and you need a friend to help you, he's the one. Do you know why we sing that? Why we can say that? Because the Bible teaches Hebrews 13 and 5, the Lord is my helper. Oh, oh, that we get sight of that. Not only see that he loves us and he has mercy toward us and he cares for us, 
but live in light of his sovereign plan and sovereign purpose. So often we lose light of God, sight of God's sovereignty. And once we lose sight of that truth, then we can begin to question and ask, where's God and what on earth is God doing? So here's one of the causes of tears that's been removed. Why is there no crying in heaven? Because the tears of sorrow have been removed. I think also very quickly, the tears of sin. I'm thinking of the deeds of evil and wicked men. I'm thinking of the presence and power and pronouncements of wicked men. What happens when evil or wicked men triumph? You, you think of Mary weeping in the garden. And she's asked the question, why weepest thou? And how does she answer? This is what she answers to the one that she thinks is the gardener. They've killed the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw him murdered. I saw that crucifixion. I, I, I was there. I witnessed it. And worse to come, they have now stolen his body. And if you read John 20 and 2 and John 20 and 13, it emphasizes, Mary says, I know not what they've laid him. You see, there's brokenness in her voice. There's a lament in her voice. And her tears, her weeping, is because of what evil, wicked hands have done to the Lord Jesus. Those are tears not only of sorrow, but tears of sin. What evil and wicked men have done. Do you know, I read a story there just a few days ago. A young girl, lovely young girl, teenager, 18, 19. She went to a mall in California Late one evening, she was going to buy a wedding present from a friend, and she was invited to the wedding. And there was few people there, and because it was late in the evening, she bought the gift and was returning to her car. And tragedy struck; she was abducted. She was brutally raped. She was murdered. She was from a Christian home. Whenever the local police arrived at the home, it informed the parents. You can just imagine how broken, cut up they were. Could you hear their howls and their guiles? And you see, I understand that because there's homes in this province. And I remember hearing of howls and guiles of loved ones who had been murdered by the IRA during the 40 years of troubles. And also I suspect and I add the other homes would have been howling and growling who had loved ones murdered by so-called loyalist terrorists. Those who are shot dead. Those who have been blown to pieces. And that great cry goes up. It goes up to the ears of God in heaven. And in light of such atrocities, you can hear that howl and guile. And you can understand the strong tears. They're tears because of what sin has done. And the enemy have done this. And how do you overcome that? Well, you only overcome that I can suggest is connected to God's great sovereignty. That's the answer. And Christ's resurrection power. Let me take you to the first home tonight. The first home was in Eden. I want you to think of the family there. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, two brothers. Can you picture the home? It, it's, it's supper time. 
The table is set. Eve's watching and waiting uh, for her, her boys to return. Maybe she's looking out the window. Where's Abel? Uh, uh, perhaps there's a problem with the sheep in the field. Remember, he's a shepherd. And she's getting the meal ready. And, and she says to Adam, Adam, have you seen Abel? And he's saying, I, I don't worry. There, there, there's probably a difficulty. Maybe a lion, maybe a bear, maybe a wolf. Uh, and he's protecting the flock. Remember, in those days, there's no phones. And she's looking out the window, watching for the shepherd's light, the lamp to come. Hope he's okay. And then they ask Cain. Can you just picture it? Cain, do you know where your brother is? And immediately he snaps out. Am I my brother's keeper? And of course, Abel never came home. Abel had been brutally murdered. His body had been buried in the dust. The blood cried unto God for vengeance from the, the soil into the ears of the Almighty in heaven. The first family had tasted the sorrow of death. In that first home, there was the tears shed because of sin, because of the horrible act of murder. I also think of the day that Peter denied the Lord with oaths and cursings. Remember, he boasted, Lord, you can count in me. I'll not deny thee. Lord, I'll be faithful. Lord, I'm going to die for you. And the Lord tells him before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times, Peter. You, you read Luke 22, you get the story. It, it says in verse 62 that, that Peter wept bitterly. See, see, think of him before that. He's denied with oaths and cursings. I'm not, I'm not one of his disciples. He, he, he denied, I don't know the man. I'm not one of his. And then the Lord Jesus come up from the house of Caiaphas, up the steps from the, the jailhouse and below the house, into the courtyard, and he just looked at Peter. And the Bible says Peter wept bitterly. See, see that's the tears of sin. Peter knew in those tears, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against one who loved me, one who come to bleed and die for me, against the one who calls me his own. The tears of sin. Think about the tears of service over there in Jeremiah. I'm not going to develop this. I'm just going to read the text over there in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 1. Jeremiah the prophet said, Oh, that my head were waters. And mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He said in verse 10, For the mountains will I take up a weeping and wailing, and for the inhabitations of the wilderness a lamentation, because they are burned up, so that none can pass through them. Neither can men hear the voice of the cattle. Both the fowls of the heaven and the beasts are fled. They are gone. He said in chapter 10, verse uh, uh, 9 and 10, silver spread into plates is brought from Tarshish, and gold from Uphaz, the work of the workman, and of the hands of the founder, blue and purple is their clothing. They are all the work of cunning men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. The tears of service. What about the tears of sickness? Hezekiah. Chapter 38 of Isaiah says in verse 3, Hezekiah wept sore. He experienced, thank God, a deathbed recovery. He was sick unto death. And in the day when he was supposed to die, God gave him extended 15 years because 
the Lord is Jehovah Rophi. He can hear and answer prayer as far as bodily healing is concerned. He did for Hezekiah. He did the same for Epaphroditus. What about the tears of sympathy? Three times the Savior wept. Where did he weep? He wept at the tomb of Lazarus, the village of Bethany. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Wasn't that heartbreaking? That word wept is connected to the word crying in Revelation 21 and 4. Oh, should I suggest that we as God's people must never get hard-hearted? We must weep with those that are weep. We must unite in grief with those who are united in grief. Because the Savior wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Did he not weep in the city of Jerusalem? Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. He was thinking of the desolation of the temple. You think of today's cities, our United Kingdom, the life of the unborn being murdered. Almost 5,000 now in Northern Ireland since the abortion law was changed. You think of the confusion of the young people over their identity. They don't know whether they're male or female. Some idiots will call them or teaching that there's 72 genders. It's like California. You could be a fairy, a leprechaun, stardust. Did you ever hear such nonsense in your life? But it's poured into the hearts and minds of the young people, even the children in the primary school. You think of the godlessness and lawlessness of our political leaders, the lack of substance in their life, the lack of character, the lack of God. I was talking to Michael Harrison. We were talking about Northern Ireland. And you know what is absent from Northern Ireland? The fear of God. And that was absent from the great city of Jerusalem. And today, cities all over the world and towns and villages. We could add into the mix the drunkenness, the adultery, the fornication, the homosexuality. Remember over there, Paul emphasizing to the church at Ephesus said in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, he said, uh, these words, listen to the word of God. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you in Corinth. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. I believe he's weeping over our cities, at least in his heart. You think of the weeping before the tree in the Garden of Gethsemane. The book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5 and uh, verse 7 gives us this information. Who in the days of his flesh, when he'd offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying, that's our word, with, and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. It was interesting that the psalmist talked to God in prayer and he said, put my tears in thy bottle. Psalm 57 and 8. What a wonderful thing it is for God to be able to bottle our tears. I wonder how many tears we have shed. We've wept with those who have wept in sympathy. We've wept over the state of our cities and our nation. We, we, we have wept over particular situations and need. 
Not only think about the cause of tears being removed, but think of the cure for tears that's been revealed. Here's another reason why there's no tears in heaven. What is the cure for the veil of tears in which we live? Remember I told you this word crying has to do with a noisy wail. It's, it's a piercing cry, a cry of brokenness, the cry of the raven. It's very intrusive. And you think of the state of the souls of men. Do we weep for the state of the souls of men? Think of the state of Northern Ireland, the state of our United Kingdom. Think of the state of the church. And the Apostle Paul who ministered in Ephesus ministered there with many tears with strong tears. He said in Acts chapter 20 and verse uh, 21, uh, a a tremendous uh, statement. In Acts 20 and verse uh, 21, he he told us they're testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting. He says in verse 31, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. He served the Lord. He prayed. He preached. He labored. He he sought to win souls. And he was the apostle who wept. He was a picture of Jeremiah. Of Jeremiah's the prophet who weep. Paul was the the prophet, uh, the, the, the apostle who wept. And why did he weep? Because he had a sight of Christ. He preached repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He's seen the crucified Christ, Christ on the cross, substitute surety, sin bearer, sinless one, sacrificial one, saving one. Do you see the crucified Christ today? Do you see him as the risen redeemer? Wasn't it the risen redeemer that was the cure for Mary? The Savior's voice, Mary. And she cried out, Rabboni. And the Savior's victory, he, he told her the tomb was empty. He told her, I am risen from the dead. Perfect deity, perfect humanity, two natures and one body forever. See the ascended Christ. Where is he tonight in glory? He's at the right hand of God. Remember he said to Mary, touch me not for I'm not yet ascended to my father. And he was going there to present the virtue and value of his once and for all sacrifice and his shed blood. See the triumphant Christ, he's seated at God's right hand. He's able to dispense grace and mercy to us in time of need. Christ is with us. You see, he knew all these emotions. He experienced them. He is able to come into our midst and say to us, peace be still. The word peace means be safe, be satisfied, be sure. We could be in a right relationship with God. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Remember he said, thou will keep him in perfect peace through Isaiah the prophet, whose mind is stayed in thee, because he trusteth in thee. Do you have peace with God tonight? Do you know the peace of God? Because you've seen the crucified, risen, ascended, triumphant Christ at God's right hand and you profess him as Lord and Savior. You see, the cure for the veil of tears is revealed. And that cure is Christ, a sight of Christ. And how Mary stopped her weeping when she got the sight of Christ and the sound of his voice. Do you hear his voice tonight? Have you got sight of Christ? I want to tell you one final thing. The croak of tears has been redeemed. You see, if you go back to our text, it says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. What is that? That's a wonderful declaration, isn't it? But I'll also tell you something else. It's not only a wonderful declaration, it's a wonderful anticipation. Because this is going to happen in the new heaven and the new earth. He, John adds, nor crying. 
As I've told you, one day in the new heaven and the new earth, there'll be no tears to shed. Why? Because God has removed all the causes of tears, every cause. And the cure is found in Christ because his people are with Christ. And there's not going to be this crook anymore. No intense cry. As I've told you, that word crying has to do with the harsh crook of a raven. If we translate it from the Greek, we're translating it literally, crying. Um, we use a thing here in the English called uh, automatopoeia. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But you think of it, the sizzle of a sausage. You think of the, the call of the cuckoo bird. That call is like the crook of the raven. It's a voice of hopeless misery. And there's a day coming when that will never, ever be heard again. Have you that assurance tonight? Are you saved? Are you born again? Are you washed in the blood? Are you in Christ? Are you looking forward in anticipation so that the declaration is made that there's a day that that cry, that intense howling and growling will never be heard again? Let me finish tonight. I want you to think of a wife just home from hospital. She's struggling with cancer. She's had surgery. She is facing chemo. The day she comes home, there's a telephone call. Telephone calls from Scotland. It's a relative to tell her that her dad has died with a heart attack. Can you just process that? The impact of that. You've just been told you have cancer. You've had the help and operation. You're getting chemo. And then you come home and you're told your, your dad has died. And that woman gave voice to what was in her soul with howls and girls from that home. And as she was processing that a few hours later, she gets another call. And this time it's the police at the door. And this time she's given the news that her brother has just been killed in a car crash. And I'll tell you, if there was one wheel, there was bitter wheels that night in that home. Because life is hard. It's a veil of tears. And we can experience wave after wheel of trouble. Some of you know that. You've identified with that. But what I'm saying is this. There's a day coming when that cry will never, ever be heard again. And the crook of tears has been redeemed forever. Let me finish tonight. Have you heard of the boy called Esau? Do you know what Esau did? Young people, Esau sold his birthright. He sold it for a mess of pottage. And we're told in the Bible, in verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 12, lest there be any fornication or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Even though he cried, Esau had sold his birthright. He didn't inherit the blessing of the firstborn. And Esau died as he lived. He died a lost soul. And in that awful place called hell tonight. Because he died without repentance. 
Can you honestly say that you're in Christ tonight? Can you personally testify to that? Have you obediently come in repentance and faith to the bleeding and wounded side of the Savior? And you've diligently made confession of him as Lord and Redeemer. Because it's only through Christ, Christ alone, that that weeping and wailing from your mouth, from your lips, out of your heart, will never be heard in heaven. But if you die in your sin and lost and go to hell, you know what the Bible tells us by way of contrast? There's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's what Esau's experiencing. And I'm saying tonight, get hold of Christ. Come to him. Profess him. Know him as Lord and Redeemer. Lest it be too late. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to our hearts this evening.